Sisters and brothers, today I turn 65. Yeah, that's not so big, but... Now, way back when I began ministry, uh, this was to be my official retirement date. But so much about life and faith and church has changed in the last generation. And I wake up this morning still with God's Spirit calling me to ministry. And I thought, well, after all, you know, Abraham didn't begin with God till he was 75. And John, they say, probably wrote his gospel when he was 80, and Luke defended his gospel way into his mid-80s, so I barely begun, right? We will keep serving Jesus and his church. The saying goes, there's only so much you can do, but you have to do that much, even if you don't know how much that is. And part of what that wisdom says to me is that every one of us has a calling from the Holy Spirit. Each one of us is called, as Jesus put it, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. None of us will find our true purpose and meaning in life, will find our true selves by living for ourselves. Because none of us lives to ourselves. Romans says, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we live. Not everyone who is given life really lives. The only way to life is through Jesus, who is the life, and we belong to the Lord. That's what Gideon discovers when the angel of the Lord appears to him. Gideon's story is about God's spirit forming and shaping our true identity, living for Jesus and as a servant in God's kingdom. The angel knows who Gideon is, mighty warrior he calls him, but Gideon doesn't feel like a mighty warrior. He's harvesting and hiding, he's afraid to be found out. He doesn't want to be ambushed again by the marauders of Midian and lose all he's worked for. To him, he's not mighty, he's afraid. He's not a warrior, he's hiding out. But the angel of the Lord knows who he is. Mighty warrior, Gideon. And Gideon will discover his true self, his real life, Only by faith, living for the Lord. That's Gideon. Imagine God's purposes for you. Well, what gets in the way of that? Well, Gideon questions God because of the trouble he's in, about the suffering he's enduring. He asks the angel, if the Lord is with us, why Has all this happened to us? Gideon asks about God's providential care. And you can hear the sorrow and the fear in his question. He's hurting and his people are hurting. If the Lord is with us, Gideon responds, as if to say, if I am to be with the Lord, what about all this? What about all that we're suffering? Now we know why this has happened. The earlier verses tell us Israel has sinned. 
The people want to have a modern, secular lifestyle like that of the Midianites. But our wants and our desires shape us too. We are what we worship. And Israel was worshiping a Midian way of life instead of worshiping the Lord God. Gideon's question, though, isn't just looking for answers, because answers don't help. He's asking for deliverance. Remember, Lord, how you delivered your people from Egypt. We need that again from you. We're suffering here. So, this is a story about the Lord's action in the world. It is about God's care and our suffering. How do these fit together? And so we started a few weeks ago on this big doctrinal question, this practical thing that we all live with. Does God providentially care for us? And what does that look like? And we do this because it's a new year, but we all carry old wounds and and hurts and losses. And we share this together because we know by experience that the only way to trust and be assured of our Heavenly Father's care is by faith. Not that it's unreasonable to rely on the Heavenly Father who created us and who sustains the world, but as Herman Bovink reminds us, it is above all by faith in Christ that believers are enabled, in spite of all the riddles that perplex them, to cling to the conviction that the God who rules the world is the same loving and compassionate Father who in Christ forgave them all their sins, accepted them as his children, and will bequeath to them eternal blessedness. That is, because Jesus suffered for us and rose again as Savior and Lord, in our ongoing exercise of trust, we can be confident that he will raise us up And even the worst doesn't have the last or lasting say about who we are. Jesus does, and his word is truth. So to help us trust that God providentially cares for us, to enkindle again our hope as we go into this new year, we're practicing a word each week. We started three, three weeks ago. The first word, do you remember? The first word was minister. The Lord God ministers to us in our trouble. The Lord doesn't take us out of the world or its broken and rebellious consequences. We are called to bear those, but God comes to be with us in compassion. Jesus ministered among the people to convince him that Convince them that he is God with us, always, to the very end. And we are called now to minister to those who are in need, those who are in trouble, those who are looking for compassion, because more than anything, this world needs compassion and care. Those are the weapons of God against evil. So we experience It starts to become a little more real, more reliable, more trustworthy to us that God cares for us when we share in ministry, when we bring compassion and care. That was our first word, minister. 
The second word, the word we used last week, the second word we said was the word grace. The Lord's coming to be with us and promising salvation is grace, undeserved favor. Life is not run by chance or chemical reaction or karma. Because God ministers to us, we don't get what we deserve. We get more than we deserve. We are graced by the Father through the Son and Spirit. We get more. We get more in Christ Jesus, who is all of life and peace and joy and love. In Mark 6, the people see Jesus out and among them, and they say in amazement, where did this man get these things? What's the wisdom that he has been given to give to us? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Jesus was too much for them, more than they could imagine. That's grace, much, much more than we deserve. And this awakens a life of thankfulness in us. We give thanks in all circumstances, even though not all things are good, not all things are God's, but God works in all things for our good. That's grace. So when we choose to minister, we choose to minister to one another graciously, generously, more than others deserve. Responding by grace. And that helps us again to see the truth enough to rely on the reality of God's graciousness toward us. And this providential care of God becomes more sure in our lives. Today's word is suffering. And here is the hard truth but so important, we are called to suffer in Jesus' name. Somehow, though we don't wish it on anyone, it is through shared suffering that God's kingdom comes. Just as through the cross, we are justified and granted eternal life. Philippians applies it to us with our text from Philippians 1.29. Now listen, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe in him. We get that part. But it says to not only believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now I know suffering can harm us in our life and our thought about who we are and even our relationship with the Lord can cause us to distrust God and, and Jesus and his church. One temptation in our suffering is to think we have to go it alone, that no one will understand that we are isolated, we are all by ourselves in this heavy, hard thing. So can you hear this? The truth here is that suffering isn't our occasion to doubt God and question everything we have believed about him. But there, the Lord God meets us to deliver us. Suffering is foundational to a life of faith. This is hard to accept, harder to live. Just as it was hard for the disciples to accept when Jesus said, you want to follow me? You have to deny yourself. 
And you have to take up your cross. Where does suffering fit in the will of a good God? Perhaps this is the question you are asking today. Your hurts have you questioning your own life. Your faith is riddled with doubts. What about all this that has happened to us? You pray. I'm going to shock you by saying often it is through suffering that our doubts become riddled with faith. And what I mean is through the suffering, Jesus becomes more real because he is the man of suffering, acquainted with grief. More and more I see in ministry people losing a sense of God's presence, losing a hope for divine action, trusting too much in the earthly powers of wealth and science and pleasure. But look where that got Israel. Now be sure to know God didn't condone the violence of Midian, their ruthlessness or their destruction of lives and creation. God is not a God of violence or evil. The text doesn't say God did these things to Israel, but the Lord gave them over into their hands, and there's a big difference. And the point is this, Israel was in the Lord's hands. Israel was made to be dependent on the Lord God, but chose not to be. And so finally God asked, do you want to really be like the people that are around you? then this is what your life will be like if you choose yourself over me and my way. So can we hear that? Will we be still before the Lord enough to hear what he's saying? Will we listen to the Lord right here as he begins to counsel us? It was a disaster for Israel. And it is a disaster for us and all peoples and creation today when we base our life not on God's way for creation, but on our own self-interests. Why has all this happened to us? Becomes the only thing we can say. But the crucified Savior is greater than our suffering. And suffering because of the cross, now becomes the way for the Lord to be present to deliver us. We live in a world that is not only broken, but rebellious against the Lord. And we are so tempted by this rebellious world. Living by faith is way more difficult now than it was when I began my ministry some 38 years ago. But the Lord is good. The Lord is the God of exodus, of deliverance, of the promised land, of new life, of salvation. Any good thing you have has come from the providential hand of the Father. So God comes again. He is not one to avoid suffering. He will come to us within it. But notice how God comes first in the voice of a prophet. First, with a word about our relationship to the Lord. First, calling us to live for Him. If we want life to be right, 
We have to be right with God. So this is one thing that I emphasize in my ministry. We are made for God. We are made for a life with God. We are made to experience the living Lord in our lives right here and now. And we get our identity from this gracious relationship with the Lord, with Jesus. Gideon is stuck because he can't get through the suffering. And we understand. There are burdens, troubles, sorrows, and losses that we carry. And they threaten to shape not only our faith or lack of it, but our very selves. We so easily lose track of God that Jesus is with us. Suffering brings the reality of our crucified Savior back to us. So suffering is key to our encounter with Jesus. And there's truth there. And Jesus is the truth. And the truth is, he suffered the worst on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He experienced the forsakenness of the Father, so we do not have to. His death defeated death's sting. His resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. The worst doesn't have the last or lasting say grace does. Saving grace. All because Jesus suffered for you. Our suffering often feels like a crisis in our encounter and experience of Jesus with us. So listen to Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. The Spirit is doing something life-giving in our suffering. To move our faith from a notion in our heads to a living faith relationship depending on the power of the cross. This verse ties authentic belief, authentic faith to suffering for Jesus' sake. Not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. There is something of crucial importance to our relationship with the Lord that is experienced when we offer even our sufferings to the Lord God. You see, after all, the true God determines where he's going to be found. And it's hard to find God or be found by the Lord in a suburban lifestyle or a Michelin star restaurant or to see the Lord through a big bank account. Suffering is the way Jesus cuts through our privilege and human contentment. Now, this is not immediately pleasing to my nature. And not at all what I'm convinced I want my life to be about. But the most holy place is at the foot of the cross of Jesus. That's where he befriends us. And that's where Christian friendship is experienced in the joy of the man on the cross. This is where divine love is found and celebrated. 
So when we suffer together, when I share in the death of another, not, not, not just physical, but any suffering or sacrifice or dead end or failing or trouble, when instead of hiding or securing myself or judging another, I sacrifice myself for another in your loss for Jesus' sake, then Christ is there to bring a fullness not of our making. And that's faith in Jesus. That's being a Christ-like friend. And the result is everlasting joy. Now, it's not that suffering is good, but it is necessary for the kingdom of God. Jesus embraced suffering, and by his suffering brought eternal life. He received the tears of the woman who anointed him, and he praised her offering and defended her in her sorrow. In John 11, Jesus wept at the death of his friend, He shared their suffering and then demonstrated his resurrecting power. And we follow him by taking up our cross and denying ourselves. We share in the suffering of the world and in his name, praying together, weeping with those who weep, caring for the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the cold, the homeless, the persecuted, being patient when things go against us. Sacrifice is so key to the life of faith. Edward Farrell motivates us. He says, no one in this world can escape suffering. But not all suffering is the cross. Suffering cannot be avoided, but one can escape the cross The cross must be a choice, a faith decision, or it is not the sign of Jesus' love. And so Jesus draws us in to sharing suffering. And by these wounds, his wounds, we are healed. I share this quote with you, and I always look to share with you something a quote, something from a novel or a poem or a painting or a writing in order to share with us some of the beauty of God's creation and of the gospel truth. And I do that because the gospel is not only true, it is beautiful. And it is a beautiful thing to choose to suffer in the name of Jesus by suffering with another, or offering our own suffering up to him. To take up this hard thing and respond by faith, by prayer, by ministry, by sacrifice. It is beautiful, and I have seen it. Sitting with those who love a spouse, or a parent, or a friend whose mind has failed, and cannot recognize or respond. And you love them anyways. It's beautiful. One who lays aside his own wants to be there for one who is hurting. Forgiving the one who hurt you and just letting it go is a 
beautiful thing. Persistent prayers and connection with one who has walked away from church and Jesus, but you stick with her. Shared sacrifice. Taking up the burden that is not yours. These are beautiful things. And they point to the truth that through suffering we bring the beauty of Christ into the ugliness of what made the cross necessary. It is about faithfulness after all. And sometimes the only way for us to recognize God's faithfulness to us is through the faithfulness of others to the suffering servant that is Jesus. And that's the last thing I want to say as I reflect on this hard word suffering and on my ministry today. After all these years, 150 or more funerals, well over 3,000 sermons, thousands of Bible studies and hospital visits to being faithful to Christ and his church because Jesus was faithful all the way to the cross. And a big part of sermons is faithfulness to the presence of Christ and to his word living among us. And I fear that's getting lost today. More and more want sermons to be faithful to the hearer's way of life and choices and politics and biases. More and more want preachers to be something like amateur therapists in the pulpit. Maybe we don't want the prosperity gospel, we say, but I think a little bit we want at least prosperity light. Just enough to say, I'm okay protecting my own and making my way and somehow having Jesus fit in with my pleasures and my happiness. But each Sunday we're invited to lay aside our self-centered ways and just be quiet and listen to God's Spirit. And let ourselves be formed and shaped, not by Wall Street or Main Street or Hollywood Boulevard, but by Jesus and His Word. Faithfulness renews us. And perhaps suffering together is the greatest faithfulness of all. We can't take away the pain. We can't usually fix it. But we can share it and wait patiently for the Lord whose cross led to resurrection. The saying goes, there's only so much you can do, but you have to do that much even if you don't know how much that is. And in that humble serving, sharing in the trouble, Jesus comes with compassion, with new life, with eternal promise. So we will not be afraid to take up our share of the world's suffering. And we will have the courage that comes from confidence in Jesus to take up our share of suffering in Christ's name, for the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, receive our praise this morning. You gave your Son 
who chose to suffer in sacrifice, to take away the sin of the world. Together we give you thanks for the eternal gift of salvation. And of all the prayers we pray today, our first is that by your Spirit you form and shape us and our lives for you and for your glory, that we may grow in our spiritual lives and mature in our faith together. Our heart's desire is to be fully known and fully loved by you. So grow our faith, our hope, and our love for your gracious presence. And hear our prayers for one another. First off on this day, though we don't really know them, in the bitterness of the weather, we think of those who are homeless, those who must fend for themselves on the streets, those who are in makeshift shelters, even the migrants here who don't know anything of a future. And we pray for your protection. But now we pray for those we do know and those who are on our hearts, and especially those on our hearts who seem far from you, whether that's a family member or a friend or a neighbor, someone, Lord, on our hearts. And here we are, Father, praying that your spirit breaks through and use us and use our church as you will, that many may come to know the saving grace of Jesus. And heal our hurts too, Lord. We think especially of Ginny Jupp, who will have surgery again tomorrow. So much that her body has to endure. So much pain. And so we pray that you may relieve the pain and bring a measure of merciful healing to her. We continue in our prayers for George Van Denen and his chemotherapy treatments for Hal Beatty and his therapy at home, for Patty Hopp, that she may be able to complete her infusion treatments. We think of Bonnie Zichterman, who continues to rehab at home after knee surgery, and glad to see Gary Swearinger here and pray that his eye is healing. Be with Gladys Lubin. Bring her through the pneumonia again. And grant her strength. I'm glad to see Al Deepshire too, as the treatments on his knee are bringing a measure of health to him. And Terry DeBoer, who many of us know from the Deaf Church, who encountered a deep infection after knee replacement surgery, and we pray for healing for him. And so, Lord, we lift up to you our lives. We give you thanks for our blessing. We rely upon you and in our dependence upon you look with all hope and joy in the work of your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.